Are you enjoying the freedom series that we're doing? Is it useful in your lives? Amen. All right. So this morning I'm going to continue speaking about the spirit of rejection. The spirit of rejection, which, as I mentioned last week, is extremely common. It's extremely common. How many of you have experienced rejection in your lives? In one way or another, in some form or another. Many people here are raising their hands. Please don't let the enemy rob from you what God wants to do this morning. Sometimes when it comes to breakthrough, sometimes when it comes to healing emotionally, God does it even during the preaching of the word, before we've even had an altar call praying for people. Don't let the enemy rob you from what will be covered today. Amen. The book of Psalms 68, verses 5 to 7. I love it in the New American. It says, A father to the fatherless and a judge for the widow. Is God in his holy habitation? God makes a home for the lonely. He leads out the prisoners into prosperity. Only the rebellious dwell in a parched land. That is a very powerful scripture because it says something to me. It shows me that your current condition does not have to stay like that. You don't have to remain in the status quo. He is a father to the fatherless. So if your father has not been present for you, God is a father to the fatherless. That's a very powerful statement. And a judge for the widow. How many of you know that when someone had lost their husband in ancient times, they needed someone to stand in the gap for them? Amen. They needed someone to rise up and be a voice to the voiceless. A voice for the voiceless. So he's a judge for the widows. Is God in his holy habitation? God makes a home for the lonely. So I don't know if you've been orphaned. I don't know if you found yourself in situations where there was no mom and there was no dad. They might have been physically present, but emotionally absent. The Bible here tells me that God makes a home for the lonely. I like it also when you look at it in Psalm 68, you look at verse 6, look at it in the ESV. It says, God settles the solitary in a home. How many of you feel lonely from time to time? God can create a home for you. And then I love what it goes on to say. It says, he leads out the prisoners into prosperity. How many of you know that you can be a Christian but still in bondage? And any type of captivity means you're a prisoner to that particular thing. We're going to talk as we go through this freedom series. We'll talk at a certain point about addictions and how to break off addictions. But I'm going to feel that if you're addicted to something, you're a prisoner to that particular thing. But the good news here, the Bible tells us that he leads out the prisoners to prosperity. Prosperity is not just about cash. It's not just about money. There's prosperity in our relationships. There's prosperity in our health. If you look at the original language, there are basically 13 different dimensions of prosperity. Is everyone getting me this morning? All right? And so we see that we do not have to remain in the same condition that we were in when we started out. And I think that's the good news. 
So last week we spoke quite a bit about manifestations of the spirit of rejection. What does it look like in our lives? And you can go onto the website and you can catch up on that if you weren't here. And now today I want to talk a little bit about sources of rejection. Sources of rejection. Because God wants to heal you whatever wound of rejection that you've experienced in your life. You don't have to remain where you are. So the way we experience healing, we first have to figure out, well, what is the source of rejection? Not so. Like, what is my problem? Where did it come from? How many of you know that when you understand how you learned a certain behavior, you get to know how to unlearn it? When you understand how behavior was learned, when you understand how an attitude was built up, when you understand how a stronghold was formed, it becomes easier for you to dismantle it. And we're going to be dismantling certain things this morning. And so we want to look at some sources of rejection. And I want you to know this morning that God has a solution for rejection. He has a solution for rejection. But let's look first at some sources of rejection. It's important to be honest about how you've been wounded. You see, very often people will be in denial because they don't want to say anything bad about a father, about a mother, because that's where a lot of wounds come from. What about, about an uncle, about a headmaster? Because they feel disloyal. And how many of you know that one of the signs of a dysfunctional family is when you cannot speak about the issues in the family? Amen? So you have an alcoholic father, but you've got this veneer of a perfect family. And you never invite people home because they will see what things are really like. I was counseling someone um, recently, and I said, okay, so what do your friends say to you about this situation? And the person said, my friends don't actually know. And I was a bit surprised. But there's so much pain that so many people are going through, but we've been in denial about it all these years. I'm not saying go and publicize it. But what I'm saying is, have people, it could be a counselor, it could be a pastor, that you're talking to about your issues. How can you get healing from a wound that you haven't labeled? Just think about it. How can you get healing from a wound you haven't labeled? How can you repent of something that you cannot define? How many of you know that in certain languages, we don't actually have words for certain sins? In a lot of our local languages, we don't have the word for verbal abuse. We've got a word for shouting at someone, but that's not always wrong, especially if someone in power does that. But we don't, we don't have a lot of words for things like verbal abuse. And I've done the test where I've spoken about this subject, and I've asked people, what's the word for verbal abuse? Because we haven't problematized it. We haven't made it a problem. Are you following this morning? Right. But it's time we begin to label things and call them what they really are. Not by euphemisms and things that are just, oh yeah, you know, my, my dad used to just drink a bit too much. No, your father was an alcoholic. And that was, it's not a disease. It's sin. It's an addiction. And as a result of their addiction, you became codependent. Right? I don't want to go into codependency right now, but we'll explain it at some point when we talk about father wounds and mother wounds. But I want you to just understand that we need to call things out for what they are. And then we forgive the people for what they did. Otherwise, what are you forgiving someone for? If you're just saying, no, well, they were just trying. 
So you're minimizing what actually happened, then what, where's the forgiveness? Because you haven't labeled it as anything. Are you following this morning? Sin is sin. And it must be called what it's called. It's sin. But God's grace is bigger than the sin. Amen? In this day and age, people water down everything. No, it's okay, we understand, because the person was in this situation. No, it is what it is, but God's grace is bigger. But don't turn down the sin. Now, whether they sinned against you knowingly or unknowingly, it has still impacted you. And it's causing you to go around wounded. And this is what happens. One of the things that takes place in a lot of men's lives is when they've been wounded, say, by a father... They go through life believing that the world owes them something. The world owes me something. And you know what the scary thing is? There's some truth to that. There's some truth to that. Because as a child, they were supposed to be fathered. But they weren't. So they go through life looking for intimacy. Looking for attention. And some of them are fulfilled or think they're really fulfilled by maybe womanizing. Some of them by becoming aggressive, like you can't outdo me, I am strong. And they go through their whole life trying to prove a point to this phantom father who isn't around anymore that they're actually great and they're a hero. Those are some of the things that wounds cause us to do. But if that person actually faced their situation and faced their needs and realized that, you know what, I have actually been wounded... I'm a victim of how I was brought up. My father did it unknowingly, but I am still wounded. Then they get the healing, and then the breakthrough comes in their lives. So the first type of wound I want to talk about, I want to talk a little bit about father and mother wounds. I'm going to go into more detail in another message because this is so important. But these are different sources of rejection. I want to encourage you this morning, if you feel the pain, give it over to God, but don't numb it. I said to you, I think last week, that you can't compartmentalize numbing. You can't say, oh, you know what, I'm just going to numb the pain. No, you forgive and you release, and the wounds need to be healed. Because if you numb the pain, you numb everything else, because it's coming from the same heart. If you numb the pain that you experienced, you end up numbing the joy. So source of rejection, number one, father and mother wounds. Father and mother wounds. How your parents, how your parents are toward you gives you a picture of what the world looks like. That's why very often if people experience their parents as always fighting, always in conflict, you see a lot of kids growing up with the mindset that the world is a dangerous place. Just be careful. You must avoid conflict. I'm always amazed how I see these strong, macho people, but they'll say, Paul, you know what? I don't like conflict. Because their mindset is that conflict will lead to abandonment. Because they saw the fighting as they were growing up and it resulted in a divorce. Are you following me this morning? Ask yourself, why do you avoid conflict? How many of you hate conflict? Come on, let's be, let's be honest. Right? That's about half the people in the room. Where does it come from? I can tell you right now that for a number of you, you know what I'm talking about. You were in an environment of aggression. I speak to some people and they'll say, Paul, 
if someone just raises their voice, I literally shut down. How many of you are like that? I literally can't hear what they're saying. How do fathers and mothers wound their children? Ephesians 6 verse 4 says, Fathers, do not exasperate your sons. Some translations say, Fathers, do not embitter your children. Do not embitter your sons. What does that mean? It comes from an interesting Greek word. Par orgizo. Okay, I'm probably not pronouncing it correctly. But it's a word that literally means orgizo in the Greek is to become angry. Those of you who've read my book on dealing with anger, I use that word. It's to become angry. And parogizo is to cause someone to become angry, to provoke to anger. And the Bible here says, fathers, do not embitter your children. How many of you know that a lot of anger issues come from how fathers treated their kids? I'm not going to go into that just yet. But the Bible is showing us that a lot of wounds come from the words of fathers, the words of mothers. Another example of a rejection from a parent is absence. And sometimes this absence is physical, sometimes it's emotional. How many of you know that if a parent is physically present but never talking to their children, if children are brought up in an environment where they're told children must be seen, not heard, Children do not have a place at the table. I see it playing out where these people are sitting on mancos today. They're sitting on excos today. And they'll just wait for their boss to say whatever he needs to say. And they'll make sure they always agree with their boss. Because they've been taught growing up that children must be seen, not heard. Sometimes the absence of a parent is very interesting because we never label it as that. Because we like, my father loves me so much, but he had to go away to work. He had to go away to work. How many of you know that if you look at cities in any nation, if you want to understand the ruling spirit of a city, just look at how that city was birthed. Places like Johannesburg, what, what were they birthed in? They were birthed in greed, weren't they? Come on now, one of the big ruling spirits of the city of Johannesburg is mammon. That's why you find a lot of people, when they were in KZN, they didn't worry too much about material things. But the moment they come to Hauteng, what happens? It's all about keeping up with everyone else. It's all about, I just have to work twice as hard because I want to provide for you guys. And then 20 years goes by. And then you discover afterwards, I don't actually know my kids. Because you are chasing after that extra two grand or extra 20 grand or extra two million. Come on, we have that mindset, don't we? Where we say, don't worry, next year I'll be more settled. One of the things that's become a wake-up call for many of us as our kids are growing up, we're starting to realize that with some of our kids, we've got fewer years left with them than we've had with them. How many of you are feeling me on that one? There's some people where the kids have already gone. They come to church from time to time on Sundays and so on, when they're on a holiday, etc. Right? But I'm sure with them, Zembas, they're thinking, we've done all we can do with Nyari. Fortunately, she's turned out brilliant. I'm sure they're like really grateful for that. But they've done their bit. It's very difficult for them. She's already a strong character anyway, but it's very difficult for them to suddenly change her views on things. I can't.
can't imagine a conversation where Ivy just says, no, Nyari, it's actually this way. Nyari just says, yes, mother. I can't picture that. She's not the type. But they did what they did, and they did a great job of it, because look how wonderful she's turned out. Amen? Be very careful about the spirit of mammon. Because that's the spirit, the principality that controls materialism and it controls greed in this nation. And I see it with a lot of people who came from poor backgrounds. Where you see them just changing jobs because they offered an extra two grand there. Then after they calculated after tax and they realized it wasn't actually a better offer anyway. Be very careful of that. Be led by the spirit of God, not by the spirit of greed. But a lot of these things come when we've experienced absent parents. Then we become like how they were. And the cycle goes down through the generations. How many of you know that there's also lack of discipline that results in rejection? A child who's not disciplined by their parents, they feel rejected. That's why you find that some kids, they will do naughty things to attract the attention of a parent. How many of you have seen that happening? It's called negative attention. Just so that I get attention, let me misbehave. How many of you that children feel more secure in an environment where there are boundaries, an environment where there's consistent discipline? Our problem is that we've got our own rejection issues, so we're looking for acceptance in our children. We're looking for acceptance from our children. We want to be popular with our kids because of our own rejection issues, and so we become very permissive parents. I mean, you you can have a passive parent and you can have a permissive parent. Permissive parent is involved in the kids' lives, often very involved, but they'll let the kids do anything because they want to be best friends with the child. How many of you know that your child can find a best friend elsewhere, but they only have one mom? They only have one dad. Amen? Proverbs 3 verse 12 says, Because the Lord disciplines those he loves as a father, the son he delights in. Isn't that powerful? If I delight in my son, I will discipline him. Disciplining your children is a sign of delight in them. Isn't that powerful? And some of you who grew up in families where your parent was either absent or you were not disciplined, you've got that root of rejection, haven't you? You kind of feel a sense of indifference. That's what lack of discipline does. It's that feeling of, I don't think my parents really cared whether I behave or misbehave because they just let me do what I wanted to do. And you see it happening quite a lot on this continent where a lot of people are palmed off, I'm going to call it that, are sent to live with grandparents and aunts and uncles. You know, I remember counseling someone and they were explaining to me a situation where the grandparents, his parents, basically saw that, I think it's a cultural thing that happens, um, where if you've got a child born just after another child, while the one is still breastfeeding, there's something they then do, some traditional thing, okay? Um, if that happened to you, we'll need to break that off you. But there's some traditional thing they do, and then the grandparents basically say, oh, let me take this one, right? And then they take one of the kids. But after some time, what happens? So many of those kids end up feeling like, yes, grandma and grandpa are really wonderful, but how strong are grandparents when it comes to discipline? Sometimes the dynamic is different, isn't it? Okay, they've raised their kids and so on, and now it's like, oh, there's this one to keep me company. 
So many people I speak to, so many of you in this room, you didn't grow up with mom and dad in the house. How many of you, raise your hands, grew up with just mom and dad in the house? There was no divorce, you weren't sent to an aunt or anything. Mom and dad. Okay. Less than half, eh? Less than half the people in the room grew up. Now, why did God put mother and father in a household? He says he sets the solitary into families. A family is a mother and a father. Before the children have even come. That's why you shouldn't, as a Bible-believing Christian, when you start having babies, you shouldn't say, we're now starting a family. No. The family is already husband and wife. Sean and Sunera, is a, that's a family. Your children are the extension of your family. Alright? So God setting the solitary into families, it means he sets the solitary into a situation where they've got mother and father. And he put that in his design to protect us from wounds of rejection. And where we didn't have that, God is so powerful in coming through and filling the gaps. But I speak to too many people for me to just think that's normal, that's fine, you're okay. I speak to too many people. Lack of affection and tenderness in words, touch and attention cause rejection. We're talking about father and mother wounds. How many of you grew up where your dad would pick you up and give you a big hug or give you a kiss? How many of you grew up in that environment? You know, I can always tell, okay, there are just about three hands went up. Okay, four, five. Okay, Nyari's quickly placed her hand because she knows she'll get in trouble. <laughs> right? Okay. Not many people. So what tends to happen is this. When I do a workshop and it's now a lunch break, I always find it interesting how because I'm seen as an authority figure in that environment, you find that when it's lunch, a whole lot of the people will sit away from me. But if ever I see someone coming and sitting next to me, right? Because I'm usually the first one like there, I sit, and then they come and they sit next to me. I can already tell that this person, it could be a man, it could be a woman, this person has got a good relationship with their father, has had a good relationship with their father, because they understand that you can be intimate with authority. Are you following? But many people who didn't have that, you see them at church. I remember when I joined a particular small group some years ago, a couple of years ago, and before I joined that group, people got nervous. I'm not going to mention names. Sifu, I'm not going to mention any names. People got nervous. And they were like, hey, but if Pastor Paul is coming to our group, are we going to be able to chill? Are we, is he going to cramp our style? And they were concerned until they discovered that I'm quite down to earth. I crack nice jokes and it was fun afterwards. But there was something in that group where a couple of the people felt like, hey, the pastor will be in our group. Will we still be the same? Why? How many of you grew up in households? I remember when we grew up, we were chilled with my mom. So we were there, we were four boys um, doing the dishes. I did my time when it came to dishes, right? Doing the dishes, we were break dancing, we're from that era. Rapping, we're from that era, old school rapping. And we were doing our thing. But the moment we would see the lights at the gate, we had a long driveway, and we knew dad has come. What happens? Guys, I want you to grab those families. The dynamic changes. The dynamic changes. We knew, it was, it was like a regimental thing. We knew we have to go out, greet him at the car, get his briefcase, 
walk in, get his newspaper, greet him. At a certain point, Dad, you want coffee? Dad, you want this? The dynamic change. He wouldn't see us break dancing in front of him and clowning around unless he asked. Sometimes he'll say, so guys, can you tell me what's, what are the latest jokes? Can you tell me some jokes? Then we would do it upon request. <laughs> now, here's the interesting thing. In psychology, there's what we call transference. By the way, those of you who hate the term psychology, there's nothing wrong with it. Psychology literally means the study of the mind. Right? And that's why the best psychologists should be the Christian ones, because God is the one who knows all about the mind. Psychology is a very neutral term. Right? When people say, oh, how do you, how do you, how can you be a pastor and also a psychologist? How does that work? No, it depends what type of psychology. If you're a humanistic psychology, that, a psychologist, that's not great. But you can be a Christian one. Does that make sense? Okay, just wanted to say that. All right? Now, in psychology, there's a term called transference. It's where experiences you had, wounds you had, the distance you had between you and your parents, you transfer that onto all your relationships. So now with authority figures, it becomes a thing where they're always the last ones to find out, especially if I'm a pastor, to find out if you're in a relationship with someone. Everyone else knows, but you can't come and just say, hey, look. But have you noticed that that's how we grew up culturally, isn't it? The father is the last one to know these things. Once everything is all perfect, all sorted. Then people come and say, can we have marriage counseling, please? Can, you, can we have premarital counseling? But the horse has already bolted. You get what I'm saying? God wants to heal us from wounds of rejection. And the result of that healing is we find we can be intimate with authority. We can phone up someone, hey, can I see you? Can we have a lunch? Can we have a... I don't mind that. It might take two weeks. I honestly don't mind anyone in this room saying, hey, can we have lunch? Can we have a coffee? Can we have... My wife is getting concerned. Can we... Right? <laughs> it's okay. Those of you who do that, you might know it might take a couple of weeks because I'm not... I don't just pastor. I've got a very full schedule elsewhere. But let's do it. You can be intimate with authority. Amen? Sources of rejection. We're talking about father and mother wounds. Lack of affection and tenderness in words. Touch and attention. Favoritism and comparison. How many of you found yourselves in situations growing up where you were told things like, you must be like your sister. Look how hard she works. Why? Why, my child? Why can't you be like your... And you grow up feeling like you're never good enough. And I see people like that become very sensitive later on in life. But that's a big wound of rejection. I would coach a number of people and you'll see how they would relate to the boss. And in the one organization, a particular pharmaceutical, the boss ended up saying, please stop looking over the wall. Because this group of people, it was becoming like sibling rivalry. And it happens in the workplace, doesn't it? And they're all, how come they're getting this? And how come they're getting this? And how come he said this to this one? And I'm just seeing people's childhoods playing all over, playing up all over again. Favoritism and comparison is a strong source of rejection. I'm trying to highlight these to you so that you know what to forgive your parents for, if it was there. Being sent off to a surrogate. It could be a family, it could be boarding school, it could be a grandparent. Sometimes I know it was necessary and we're grateful that we've got those strong relationships with our grandparents. Sometimes we look back and we're grateful that we went to that good boarding school. Sometimes it was necessary if you lived out in the bush and there were no schools. But how many of you know that God's design was for children to grow up with mom and dad? 
That was God's design, not boarding school. And I don't care if your boarding school was the best. The school I went to was the best. Well, well, it was the most expensive in Zim, okay? It was one of the best in Zim. It was, the, it was really good school. But can I be very honest with you? Maybe I missed certain years as I was growing as a teenager with my parents. A connecting that could have happened between the ages of 13 to the age of 18. Are you following me? You see, sometimes we get caught up in, no, that's a wonderful mission school. That's where they get straight A's. And the value of going to a mission school becomes better or greater than the value of connecting and bonding with your children. And many of us were fine with it because we thought, oh, we're getting this good education. And we couldn't compare it with anything else. We didn't know anything else. Divorce. Divorce is a massive, massive wound in a lot of people's lives. That's why the Lord says, I hate divorce. Because he sees the damage it does, especially to the children. Especially to the children. The parents are already damaged, usually. Okay? And they're not about to change. But it's the children who are impacted. Why? The way a child interprets divorce is different to how a parent interprets it. You see, a child sees its parents as perfect. So the way a child interprets it is... If dad has left us, it means dad didn't love us enough to change his ways. If dad has left me, it means there must be something wrong with me. The child will tend to blame themselves. And that's why it's so important if you've been through a divorce. Oh, I was going to say if you're about to go through a divorce, but hopefully not. All right. Make sure your children get some form of very, very strong counseling. Because they'll be quiet and they'll be all look like they're fine, but they're going through pain. Remember, a natural wound, you can put a bandage on it. A normal wound that's bleeding, you can put a bandage on it. But emotional wounds are very tricky because often you're not even conscious of them and they end up affecting your life in so many different ways. But the wound of divorce is a biggie. Rejection from the womb. We're talking about father and mother wounds. Rejection from the womb. Be very careful when you are pregnant. Those of you who get pregnant, the ladies, obviously... Right. When you are pregnant, be very careful about the thoughts you have and the emotions you feel because those can easily pass onto your child. That's why very often if someone has not been expecting a pregnancy, okay, and something happens and they're very anxious about it, all of a sudden they start wondering, but I've raised my child well. How come I've raised them well, but they're still very anxious and highly strung and they get stressed out? Well, because when that child was in your womb, and you hadn't yet processed the pregnancy that, oh, okay, I'm now expecting this child. And you had all sorts of thoughts of, I'm not ready for this child. I wasn't expecting this child. Those thoughts of rejection, those emotions of rejection, very often will pass on to the child. And that's why when we talk about healing from wounds, some of you will say, but I was raised nicely. My, my parents have always loved me. Ask them, what about when I was in your womb? Are you hearing me? Okay, and release and forgive them. Gender preference. When your mom wanted a boy, but you turned out a girl. Right? Or the other way around. That's a very strong form of rejection. And this is what it does. I've seen, for example, with some women, they will suppress that side of them. They'll suppress their femininity if their dad wanted a boy. 
I know of a particular person and the way the dad ended up raising them because there was a whole string of girls and then finally years later they got a boy. And the dad would show them how to be a mechanic, how to do this. And then she's ended up very independent as a result of it. I mean, she can literally do all sorts of things, fix cars, etc. The person was telling me the other day. Now, that's a plus. But at the same time, if you ask more than two questions deep, you'll see that there can be a wounding where one hasn't fully embraced their femininity. How many of you know that God created us male and female? And I'm going to know that our femininity can be shattered or our masculinity can be shattered because of how we're raised. Are you hearing me this morning? It's important to fully embrace the gender that God has blessed you with. Amen? A lot of people aren't aware of it. You'll find a lot of ladies, for example, you'll say to them, what do you want in a husband? What are you looking for? And they describe a woman. They will literally describe your stereotypical mom or female. He must do this, he must do this. There's no warrior there. So we're living in a society because of these wounds of rejection where the whole, our gender identity has become skewed. And part of the healing of these wounds, mother-father wounds, very often heals us and restores us in our true gender identity. Are you following me this morning? Okay. Birth order is a big one. Birth order is a big one. You'll have someone who's the last born. And the way it plays out, they begin to rebel against the fact that they're being babied by everyone. And very often they become very self-sufficient. Very independent. I want to do my own thing. Then you have other last borns who continue being babied throughout their lives. And sometimes you'll have situations where you're the middle child. And you kind of feel like firstborn is so special. They get the attention of the parents. Parents are always talking to them, excuse me. Parents are always talking to them about this and that. They get to lead everything. And then how come my parents are not as strict with my baby brother or my baby sister? And the middle child just feels they're lost somewhere in between. I encourage you parents, love on your middle kids. Take them out on dates by themselves. Because you'll find that some of them will experience a wound of rejection. And depending on their personality, some of them will react aggressively and always be fighting everyone. And others will withdraw and just say, I was always the middle child. I'll always be left out. Let me reject myself before I can be rejected. Addiction. If you grew up in an environment where your parents were addicted to something, it could be food, it could be workaholism, it could be substance abuse. What happens? They always want to get their next fix. And when you were around them, you felt like that was their priority. You felt like that was their priority. There's a wound of rejection there. There's always that feeling of, I am second to that need that they want to meet. I will be tolerated, but I won't be celebrated. When they're coming home, they're preoccupied. Where's my next drink? When they come home, where's, where's my laptop? I need to do this for my boss. Oh, I still need to do this. And after a while, you built up a mindset that says, I will always come second or third or fourth. I will get the leftovers from this person. And very often, let me just say this, it causes what we call bitter root judgments, where you make a judgment and you say, I'll never be like my father. I'll never be like my mother. With the same measure you judge, you'll be judged. And you find very often the cycle of addiction continues. We're talking about a particular family. Just yesterday, we're chatting about it with my wife. 
and just saying it's so sad. My wife was saying, I'm so grieved by this. Why? Because you can see a cycle of addiction, cycle of divorce, passing on to the next generation. There's also rejection when the naughty child gets more attention than you. It's interesting when I speak to a number of execs, very often they were the heroes in the family, they'll do so well academically, and they'll say, I felt rejected by my parents because I felt they would give more attention to my brother or my sister who was the naughty one, who didn't perform. They would give them the attention. That's a source of rejection. When a sick child gets more attention than you, very often parents will give more attention to the sick child. The child, sometimes the child is now better, but because they were sickly when they were young, they got more attention. And you feel rejected. You also feel rejected when you're not protected by your guardians. It could be a mother or a father. It could be whatever guardian. Maybe it was an aunt or an uncle. And you didn't feel protected by them. And so you were sexually abused, you were molested. And very often what happens is when we pray for people who've been abused, we tend to focus on them releasing and forgiving the abuser. But how many of you know that when there's been abuse, it's an abusive family system, isn't it? Because often there was someone else in the home who turned a blind eye to it. There was someone else in the home who didn't want to expose that uncle who abused you. There was someone else in the home who was more concerned about the image of your family than protecting you. And very suddenly, you know, after a while and after thinking about it, you start thinking, but wait a minute, why didn't this person do something about it? Some of you have grown up in environments where you might have been physically abused. You might have been in situations where you're angry with your mother because you're like, she should have left my dad sooner. But we had to go through all of that. Those are some mother and father wounds. And it's important for me to highlight these. Some people might think, oh, but Paul, you're being negative. No, we're exposing what the enemy has done to us so that we can be healed. Number two, rejection from peers. Rejection from peers. When you're not selected for a team. When you're always on the bench. (laughs) sometimes see these soccer players and I wonder how do they cope, what do they, how do they explain it to their kids dad we thought you would be playing the worst thing is when you see the soccer players there like you know on the, on the line there just you know, down the line warming up, warming up and now it's extra time and they never get to play, how does he go home and explain it to his wife they're there watching on TV or watching in the grass, don't worry son, dad will play just now that's rejection Imagine the rejection. And it's subtle. And they say the right things. And I'm excited for the team. No, it's good for the team. But any player wants to play. You want to play. Right? But think about it as you were growing up. When you were not selected for a team. You might have had friends. And they'd always pick you last. Any kind of exclusion. What type of exclusion have you experienced in your life? Maybe they were the rich kids who lived on a particular street and you lived down the road. Maybe you went to a rich school. I went to one of those schools. I remember at junior school where some guys had helicopters. They were rich farmers and they had helicopters. And they'll come to school in a helicopter. It was a boarding school at the beginning of term. 
and the kids, it was a boys' school, and the kids would have these things, debates where they'll say, who's the richest in the school? And there was like a ranking order. Yeah, first is so-and-so, first is so You know, there's lots of testosterone. We would have these debates. Who, who's better, townies or farmies? And then you'd have one guy coming out saying, well, I'm both. We live in the city, but we also have a farm. So, we'd have that. Any kind of exclusion. Exclusion causes you not just rejection, but feelings of inferiority. And I still see people seeing themselves as the poor country cousin. I was doing a workshop recently, a seminar, and one guy, he's in his 60s, but he says, one of the things that triggers me emotionally is when people think they're more superior than other people. And I said, often that's from childhood. When you grow up in that environment and become so sensitive to you. The impact of bullying when you're bullied. The impact of teasing. There was a boy recently in a certain setting who went up to one of my kids and a friend of his in a certain setting and said, you guys, uh, you guys, it was a mistake that you were born. Fortunately, he got in trouble. Okay? But I'm going to that children can be very cruel. And it's so important when your child comes and says they've been bullied, it's so important for you to help them to process it. I remember getting my child and saying, it's so, we're so chuffed that you're here with us. We're so happy. Okay? Because sometimes kids can update you on certain things casually and you kind of think, ah, it happens with kids. I just remember how I felt being bullied at school once and I remember writing a letter to my, to my mom, to my parents and so on. And I kind of felt like they didn't do anything about it. They probably thought like, okay, it's toughening up at boarding school. But I remember it affected me. And I remember coming back home and I remember my mom at one point saying, but Paul has changed. Paul used to talk so much. Okay, that's how I think well, he's changed back then. <laughs> he used to talk so much. He was lively. I was very attention seeking. Woo! Doing all the fun stuff. But now he's just gone all quiet and serious. It was around that time when I then got born again. Okay? But it was the impact of reality when people are now bullying you and ganging up on you. Then I started beating up people. I'd watched kung fu, kung fu films. After we prayed against um, martial arts the other night, you'll think like, oh! I, and I was literally copying what they did. So I started beating up certain people. Black eye, um, red eye, etc. And I must say, they started respecting me. Right? I'm not saying go and do it. But that we had to be tough. Amen. The impact of teasing. Perceived rejection by the opposite sex. Can we go there? That feeling of, I've been rejected by a father as a girl. Let's say you're a girl. And now I'm looking for attention from guys. Can some guy just tell me I'm pretty? Please. And when you feel rejected by the opposite sex, not always a great feeling. I still remember one guy whose dad had left him and was at school where the testosterone levels were high. Out of the blue, he just comes to me and he says, we're now about 14, 15, right? Just comes to me out of the blue and says, Paul, I've got more charm than you. I've got more charm. Like girls like me more. Like, where is this coming from? (laughs) Perceived rejection from the opposite sex. Let's be honest about it, ladies. Let's be honest about it, guys. You're always wondering at the back of your mind, 
Am I handsome? Am I pretty? Yes, that one guy once said so, but is he, was he really telling the truth? Those of you who struggled with rejection in this area, what happens? Guys will say to you, oh, you look stunning. Oh, you look, uh, you can see yourself getting attention, but you'll always turn it around. No, he just says it to all the girls. No, instead of just believing that I am pretty and just accepting it once and for all. Amen? Third area of rejection. Rejection from teachers and authority figures. That's a serious one, isn't it? When the teacher favors other kids. Or when they seem to look down on your family. I still remember growing up at the first school I went to. And I was about eight or so at the time. Seven or eight. And I remember we would go to the school that my aunt learned at. And we would wait there for my parents to pick me up. And the whole school, pretty much the whole school was there waiting. That's where we used to wait. Right at the convent, uh, if you remember. Right, and it was there. And I remember there was a guy who wasn't quite all there mentally, a tall guy, and he wore a blue hat. I remember it was a blue hat, and he was walking. And then a friend of mine, Fadi Gurgis, he was a very good opera singer, he was an Egyptian guy, started going up behind him and teasing him. Hey, Mr. Tawley, hey, Mr. Tawley. And then, being the person I was, I don't know why I did it. I went up to this guy who wasn't all there mentally. I went up to him and I said, hey, hey, that, that boy, that boy is teasing you, right? And then the guy turned around and he was threatening to do something to Fadi. Fadi, of course, then tells his dad. His dad is a, is a leading dentist in Zim. So Fadi then tells his dad, and his dad now, no stereotyping Egyptian people, but his dad then is cruising around now looking for this man. You know, wanting to do something about it. Next thing, we at school the following day or so, and I'm called up by my teacher. And my teacher was a no-nonsense person. And so she says, I hear that there was this dynamic that happened yesterday. So I'm thinking, Fadi's the one who was teasing the guy. I'm the goodie. And so Fadi's going to get in trouble. And then this teacher then says, do you know that that man could have killed Fadi? I imagine I'm there, I'm a seven-year-old boy. Right? It was about grade two or something, right? He could have killed Fadi. Then she claps me. And I'm like, something wrong with this picture. You know? I was just reporting what had happened. And then she said, You're not allowed to go to swimming training with everyone. And I had to sit in the in class and I had to miss swimming training for a number for a number of weeks, I think it was. Now here's the thing: Fadi was a good singer. He could really sing. And those days, I was also quite a good singer. And I'd be saying to guys, I'm the second best singer. I'm the second best, second best singer here. Right? But imagine the impact that had on me because I felt that someone else was being favored. Does that make sense? Okay? So maybe now when my wife listens to some music and says, oh, that person sings so nicely. I'm like, I'm just thinking, Fadi, Fadi. Okay? <laughs> These things happen. All right? Did you ever experience rejection from teachers? Fourth, rejection and abandonment through death. When a parent dies, the child doesn't interpret it. A little baby doesn't interpret it as, oh, mom has died or dad has died. A little baby sees a parent as a superhero. They can't die. So when they die, it's often seen as abandonment. Why did daddy leave us? Right? 
It should have been in their control. Why did they leave us? So the way children deal with grief is not the same as how adults deal with grief. Then number five is rejection as an adult. There's a lot of rejection we experience as adults. For example, divorce. Where you have that thought. Those of you maybe were in your second marriages. You have that thought of who has he moved on to? Who is he now married to? Am I prettier than her? I read a thing recently, one of the common lies people tell themselves is that they never think about that. But we do. People do. Right? Where you compare yourself. Right? Infidelity. That's a big source of rejection in a lot of marriages today. Because you end up insecure. You end up wondering, would they rather have had someone else? Is there something wrong with me? And it can be something you can carry unless you experience healing of that wound. You see, it's important to be able to say, person X did this, not because they intentionally wanted to do so, but they didn't know how to meet certain needs. They didn't know how to process certain needs. That's why they did it. You're not justifying the behavior, but you're not internalizing it. Come on, we've seen many cases where a guy will cheat on his wife or a woman will cheat on her husband, and you're like... But how can they leave this person to go for that person? And everyone is looking and they're like, there's something wrong with that picture. Let me tell you something. When demons are involved, it's not always easy to explain. When demonic spirits are involved, you find people going off with someone else. And after a while, you look and you're like, ugh. And you see some people throughout their lives. They look back on their lives, mistakes they made. And they look back and they're like, what was I thinking? I mean, if you know what I'm talking about. That's rejection as an adult. It's through divorce, through infidelity, unrealistic comparisons made by your spouse. I don't know if you've been in situations where your wife wants you to be exactly like your da- her dad was. So it's a common one. It's a common cause for marital breakdown. Recently, someone was speaking to me and they were saying that, Paul, my wife thinks we should move to a place where her father lives because she feels that her father will be a better father to our kids than he. Imagine how you would feel. Okay? The rejection you'd feel like, are you saying there's something wrong with me? One of the biggest marriage destroyers is where you compare your spouse with a phantom. You compare your spouse with some ideal image out there of, this is what a good husband is supposed to be like. Says who? Go to the word of God. And read out to them and say, this is what the Bible says about fathering. But how it's outworked, it's different for different people. As long as the word is there. Don't try to make your wife how your mom was. If you're looking for a mom, look elsewhere. That's why we say your, your wife ain't your mama. There are a lot of men today who are looking for a nurturer, not a wife. There was one guy, I was counseling them, he had cheated on his wife, and I asked him a question, very important question to ask people who, where there's been infidelity. I said, what type of women were you going for when you cheated on your wife? And he said, I was going for someone who would nurture me. As I explored his upbringing, he was separated from his mom. He didn't grow up with his mom. People thought his mom was a witch. He didn't grow up with his mom. His mom was banished from the environment. She wasn't really a witch, but they thought she was. And so from a young age, he didn't grow up. He, was, he didn't have a bond with his mom. 
And so what ended up happening is there was this deep need for nurture. And he was now looking for it in women. And I said, what needs are not being met by your wife? What do you want from your wife? And he says, I just want her to hold me. I just want her to just hold me and just say, I'm her, I'm a pookie, I'm her, I'm her. And I said, you're looking for a mom in her. That's what you're looking for. Are you following me? I hope none of you are thinking, okay, yeah, so that's why I was doing that. <laughs> Unrealistic comparisons made by your spouse. The moment you say, I do, they've become your misright. They've become your Mr. Right. Accept what you agreed to, what you chose. Retrenchment. When you get retrenched, they might be able to explain it to you, but there's still something in you that says, ah, how come those other guys are staying and I'm going? Ethnic discrimination. When you experience prejudice, xenophobia, especially when it's obvious. When you're walking behind someone and then they start clutching their handbag, but they don't do that when it's someone else. You're like, what's that all about? Rejection. Rejection. Various forms of exclusion based on resources, position, cliques, and subgroups. And the more I think about it, the more I see that in the workplace, and I'm addressing it nowadays, I'm talking about workplace wounds. Because the danger of work is this, we get paid. So we think, hey, but I'm being rewarded anyway. But we go through so much abuse. I found myself in a workshop recently in a seminar saying to the group of people, guys, be very careful. So many of you are saying that your triggers are from your past jobs where you've been hurt and you've been wounded. Please make sure you forgive those people. People started coming to me, Paul, how do I deal with this? I said, the first step is forgiveness. Be careful of workplace wounds. They're the same as being married to someone who's beating you up, who's wounding you, but you still say, oh no, but at least they provide economically. That's what's happened to a lot of people at work. One person said to me, Paul, I should have left the organization I was working at way, way, way back. But I delayed because I was trying to be a hero. This person said the, the, our boss was trying to do Machiavellian experiments on us, social experiments on us. That's how abusive it was. But she stayed on in that environment. Being bypassed for promotion. That's rejection, guys. When you're seeing some people who you know you work harder than, you know you are smarter than them, you know you are adding more value, and they're literally climbing the corporate ladder, but you've been sitting where you are sitting. You've been sitting there for the last few years. It's a very subtle form of rejection. I was speaking to someone over the phone yesterday, and I was saying, you need to release your former organization, because he left the organization, now he's thinking of going back there. And I said, if you want breakthrough where you're going back, God will bless you, but what I'm telling you is you've made judgments based on how you were treated when you were previously there. Guys, one of the keys to promotion is making sure you don't make judgments, ungodly judgments, on the very people you're expecting to promote you. Amen. I want to close with some steps to healing these rejection wounds. In Colossians chapter 2, Verse 9 to 10, the Bible says, For in him, that's Jesus, the fullness of God continues to live, giving complete expression of his divine nature. 
and you are in him and have come to fullness of life. In Christ, you too are filled with the fullness of God and reach full spiritual stature. So in Christ, I have all things. Say to the person next to you, in Christ, I am complete. This is so important, just being grounded in this revelation. God doesn't want you to go through life wounded. God wants you to experience complete healing. The first step to healing, forgive those who have rejected you. During this series, we're going to have a whole sermon on forgiveness because it's so important. But what I want to say at this point is, forgive those who've rejected you. Luke 23 verse 34 says, Father, forgive them. This is Jesus on the cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. One of the ways that makes it easier for you to forgive someone is realizing that a lot of times they were not doing it intentionally. They were just passing on what was given to them by their parents. They were wounded people. Some of them had been in war. Some of them had been fighting. Some of, they're from a different generation. I'm talking about parents. They were doing what they knew to do. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Lately, I've been speaking to people who were involved in the bush war, Angola, etc. And they were saying to me, Paul, the one guy was saying, Paul, we were brainwashed. We were brainwashed to believe this is what was going to happen to our nation if we didn't do this. And you see the regrets that people live with. But if that's what you're exposed to, how many of you that a lot of times our lives are shaped by the media? So I have to be very careful and question what you see on TV. A lot of times people do things unknowingly. Colossians 3 verse 13 says, Make allowance for each other's faults and forgive anyone who offends you. Remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. One of the things that makes it easier for us to forgive is what? Is when we realize how much we've been forgiven. Now that's an interesting word, make allowance. In some translations it says, bear with one another. You know what that speaks of? It means to endure, to have patience with, and to suffer. So very often when we forgive... When we go through stuff and we see that this person is making the same mistake over and over again. It's not like it's easy. The word there means suffer. The word there means be patient. But make sure your heart is clean and pure and you're releasing and you're forgiving. People often have a tough stance on others in terms of forgiveness. Yet they can forgive their child. How many times do you forgive your child? Over and over again. Yet I hear a lot of people say, I can never forgive that person. Paul, with me, I've got a code. If someone does it three times, I write them off. I'm not saying you have to trust that person and they must be your best friend. But what is it in you that can forgive your child who sins against you on a daily basis, but you're struggling to forgive people in your cell group? You're struggling to forgive your uncle. Pray a strong prayer. God, give me the heart that I have for this child, the heart that I have for my sister. Can you also give me the same heart for that person, my boss, who offended me? Amen? You know what? The Bible gives us that capacity. In Romans 5 verse 5, 
It says, let the love, it says, the love of God has been shed abroad in your hearts by his spirit. If you've got the spirit of God living on the inside of you, you've got the capacity to love. The love of God has been shed abroad in our hearts by his spirit. Isn't that powerful? We carry God's love. We carry his capacity to love people. Don't settle. Don't say, no, 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 it's just me and my family. No. Say, God, your spirit is living on the inside of me. I can love people. And stretch out possibilities of love. Matthew 7 verse 1 to 3 says, Do not judge or you will be judged. For with the same judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye, but fail to notice the beam in your own eye? I want to encourage you, release all judgments. Very often what wounding produces, wounding produces judgment. So you get wounded and then you make a bitter root judgment. You become resentful, then you become bitter. And then you're like, that person deserves the worst. This and this should happen to that whole group of people. Because they are the ones who robbed me. Now that whole tribe is like this. And you've made these judgments. All you're doing is you've fallen into the enemy's trap. The enemy wants you to make those judgments so that you're ensnared in your own life. Because with the same measure you're judging, you will be judged. Doesn't matter how much you pray. You can pray for breakthrough. But if you've got judgments out there that you've released to people out there, with the same measure you're judging, you will be judged. Amen. Be very careful about making those judgments. And it's interesting because it says, but you fail to notice the beam in your own eye. That word notice means to take note of or to perceive. How many of you know that the beams in our eyes, sometimes we need to be able to perceive them because they're not easily noticeable. One of the things that has helped me to not make judgments against people is a pattern I'm, I'm developing in my life is the moment I start thinking of saying something about them, I look at myself and I say, do I have the same sin? Have I done it before in my life? Do I have the same weakness? It will help you to forgive them. What is to judge? To judge is to come to a choice or decision which rejects or condemns. Sometimes you also judge in favor of something. So a judgment is the verdict based on how you've judged. Does that make sense? A powerful prayer to pray is help me Lord to demonstrate unconditional love today even to those who reject me in any way. You see, God calls us to be proactive about the love we show people around us. He says do good to those who persecute you. Pray for those who hurt you. He doesn't just say have a neutral stance towards them. We say, well, at least I didn't say anything bad about them. No, he says, do good to those who persecute you. In other words, go out of your way to be a blessing to them. Why? It breaks the cycle. It breaks that wound in your own life. What is God calling you to do to your enemies right now? What is God calling you to do for those who've rejected you right now? That boss who's treating you unfairly, what can you do? I encourage you, pray for those who hurt you. Do good to those who persecute you. Go out of your way to do so. One of the things I wrote here is, be proactive with regards to your stance toward those who might hurt you in future. This is important because you are sensitive to rejection. This is one of the keys to your healing. Do good to those who persecute you. The first one is forgive, release. Be, cast out any evil spirits that have entered as a result of rejection wounds. 
That's the spirit of rejection. Cast it out. How do you do that? If you're praying for someone, there's a good prayer to pray. In the name of Jesus, I address the spirit of rejection. I address the spirit of inherited rejection, fear of rejection, self-rejection, and perceived rejection, and I cast you out of person X. I command you, spirit of rejection, to leave right now. Your legal right to operate in his life has been taken away, and you must leave right now in the name of Jesus. Spirit of rejection, I expel you now. In the name of Jesus, I forbid you to ever operate in this person's life again. Very often, ladies and gentlemen, we're dealing with a demonic spirit that has been attracted to that stronghold of rejection. And it's important to cast it out. You know that the spirit of rejection is what often causes the orphan spirit. Where people will come into an environment and they've got the orphan spirit. They're carrying an orphan spirit and they can never stay in one place long enough. God says, I'm blessing you with a wonderful local church. This church can be your family. The moment you get corrected, the moment someone rebukes you, the moment a relationship is being tested, what do you do? Duck out. That's the orphan spirit. It's a demonic spirit of rejection that causes you not to be comfortable in a family setting. Remember I said to you at the start, a father disciplines the child in whom they delight. Church is a family. also has discipline. C. Invite God to heal your wounds. Invite God to heal your wounds. There's an interesting process for that. After you've forgiven people, renounce any judgments that you've made against those who've hurt you. Renounce any inner vows that you've made. What's an inner vow? When you've been wounded, you come up with all sorts of rules. And one of those rules comes in the form of a vow. So someone is abused by a man and they say, I don't need men in my life. I don't think I'll ever be married. I don't want to get married. One day, mentally, you change your mind. You meet this wonderful guy, your dream guy. But somehow, you always run away and you sabotage the relationship. Why? You've prophesied over your life because of your hurt and your pain. And you've said, I will never get married. That's an inner vow. You know that the words that we speak over ourselves very often have the most power over us. The words we speak over ourselves. Someone can say something negative to me. But guess what? I give it power because I rehearse it over and over again over the years. And that's what destroys me. Renounce any inner vows that you've made. Ask God to reveal his father heart to you. His love, his goodness, his provision. Make a list of all the lies you've believed with regards to acceptance and rejection. Make a list of those lies and then next to them, make a list of the counter arguments. In other words, the truth. What's the truth? What are some of those lies you've believed? You can't trust authority figures. If I'm honest, I've got certain lies I've believed about authority figures. That's why often I'm skeptical. You know? I'll be like, eh, I think this person has an agenda because of hurt. In certain spheres, things I've experienced, be it in ministry or in life in general, maybe there was unfairness. But I'll be thinking, why is this person saying this nice thing? There's a catch to it. Pray that God helps you to see yourself, others, and the world aright. 
Because their lies we've believed about ourselves, their lies we've believed about others, they've lied, their lies that we've believed about how the world works. And then finally, proactively do good to those who have hurt you and walk in love and acceptance of others. When you've been rejected, the enemy's strategy is for you to reject others, choose to accept others. And then D, renew your mind with regards to God's love and acceptance. Renew your mind. And as we bow our heads and close our eyes, I want to declare your identity in Christ. I want to declare to you how he has accepted you. 1 John 3 verse 3, I am loved. Ephesians 1 verse 6, I am accepted. John 1 verse 12, I'm a child of God. John 15 verse 14, I'm Jesus' friend. Come on, just be washed by this. Renew your mind with this. I'm a joint heir with Jesus, sharing his inheritance with him. That's Romans 8 verse 17. I'm united with God and one spirit with him. That's 1 Corinthians 6 verse 17. I'm a temple of God. His spirit and his life lives in me. 1 Corinthians 6 verse 19. I'm a member of Christ's body. 1 Corinthians 12 verse 27. I'm a saint. Ephesians 1 verse 1. I'm redeemed and forgiven. Colossians 1 verse 14. I'm complete in Christ. Colossians 2 verse 10. I'm free from condemnation. Romans 8 verse 1. Someone needed to hear that. I'm free from condemnation. I'm a new creation because I'm in Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. I'm chosen of God, holy and dearly loved. Colossians 3 verse 12. I'm established, anointed and sealed by God. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 21. I do not have a spirit of fear, but of love, power and sound mind. 2 Timothy 1 verse 7. I'm God's co-worker, 2 Corinthians 6 verse 1. I'm seated in heavenly places with Christ, Ephesians 2 verse 6. And there's so many more. I have direct access to God. I'm chosen to bear fruit. I'm one of God's living stones being built up in Christ as a spiritual house. I've been exceed, given exceedingly great and precious promises by God by which I share His nature. I can always know the presence of God because he never leaves me. He never forsakes me. God works in me to help me do things he wants me to do. And finally, I can ask God for wisdom and he will give me what I need. Father, I thank you for your people.